my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. We have limits that we've built for ourselves, and Billy just helped me bust through that thing. You know, he's helped me shatter my own glass ceiling that I built for myself and discover all of this, all of the sky. I would describe it as um, just out of the limits of my control. There's just a full body conviction and commitment. Let it go, let it fly, like Coltrane, you know? That's actor, singer, and songwriter Leslie Odom Jr. He won a Tony for his performance as Aaron Burr in Hamilton. And now he's starring on Broadway in the hit revival of the great play Pearly Victorious. That play means a lot to me personally because more than 60 years ago when I was still just starting out, I acted in the first production of Pearly Victorious. I loved that play, and I learned a lot about acting, standing in the wings, watching the amazing performances of Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee. When the revival opened, I rushed to see it. And later, when I had a conversation with Leslie on this show, you can hear my excitement about the play. To see this brilliant cast, you and your fellow actors, now bringing it to life again, bringing to life all these memories I have of the play. And hearing the audience scream with laughter. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that a great feeling? It really is. Do you remember how you got that job? Had you worked with Howard De Silva before? Was that what it was? I had, yes. I did a summer of stock in Ohio, Chagrin Falls, Ohio. And uh, we did a lot of plays together. And he thought of me when he was directing Pearly on Broadway. I thanked you when you came to visit us because you need a great Charlie. You need a great actor in that in that role for the whole thing to work. Because you did it, you know, because you were a part of that original company, it meant that we could go to an actor like Noah Robbins, who we have. Noah took it because you did it first. You know, <laughs> quite quite frankly, you know, yeah, we said we say to great actors, but hey, Al, Alan Alda did it. You know, you you going to turn us down? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, you made me laugh and you made me cry. And that, I don't cry much anymore. I used to cry when I was younger. I cried at every, I used to cry at card tricks. But you, you really got me. Mm. It's a powerful part and you're powerful in it. Thank you so much, sir. 
It seems like everything you do, you get you get nominated and you win awards. You're really shining. But you know, I've been reading your book mm. with the wonderful title, Failing Up. That's right. And what I love about it, you go behind the success that everybody thinks defines you. Right. Into the fears and the anxieties and the the near misses. Yeah. And the at the attitudes that could have brought you down until you changed them. That's really very honest and helpful to hear. When I started writing, I really thought I was writing for, you know, I was imagining like a, a commencement address, you know, it was, to, yeah. it was to like a high school graduating class or even a co college graduating class. And I was just thinking of what, what it might have been nice to hear. You know, I, I, that's like, that's kind of my guiding principle all over the place with Pearly. I, I wanted to, I wanted to make the, the Pearly Victorious that I wanted to see. This album that I just that I just re recorded this collection of ten songs. It comes out in November, and I'm the, it's the thing I'm most proudest of that I've ever made in music. And in that same way, I was I I wanted to make the album that I desperately needed to hear. You know that's so interesting because that's my mantra when I decide to do a movie or a play. I don't want to do it unless it's something I want to go see. Right. A lot of us figure, well, that's my job. Peter Laurie used to say, I get paid to make them. I don't get paid to watch them. <laughs> there, you know, and that, that works for some people, but not guys like us. Something interesting in your book that stems from the title the first time you gave yourself permission to fail spectacularly. Tell me about that. You were working with Billy Porter at the time, was that it? I was, I was. Billy was directing me in a, in a musical. And um, I had always been a good student, you know? I, I went to college and college was very expensive. I went to Carnegie Mellon and got this great education. And, you know, I, I saw, I, I I was just very careful. You know, I was careful with my parents' money. I was careful with um, my reputation amongst the, the teachers and the faculty and all that stuff. And anyway, I, you know, you get out of school and a few years in, and uh, yeah, I just got sick of that, man. And so I gave myself the permission. I went to this one audition and it was, it was a big thing for me. You know, at, at that time too, you know, when you first get with your agents, everything, every bad audition, you think, oh, they're gonna drop me. Every season you don't book a pilot, you think, oh, they're gonna drop me. You know, I remember me and my, there was a whole lot of anxiety about people cutting and running. And so anyway, I gave myself the permission, this one audition, I, I don't know where the inspiration came from, God probably. It was a broad comedy. It was a Wayans Brothers comedy. And I got a, a, a bold idea about how to approach the material, Alan. Can I call you Alan? <laughs> you, if you don't call me your, your highness, then you stick with Alan. <laughs> and anyway, and I, you know, I got the idea to, to try something, to try by, by God, to give myself the permission to take a risk for God's sakes. And if, and if they don't like it, so what? You know, and the risk involved not trying to be funny, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. I decided I decided to to approach it like it was like it was you know on the waterfront. I really was trying to be Marlon Brando on this <laughs> on this ridiculous script, and 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 if and I said to myself, if they don't laugh, if they call my agents and say 
that was the worst audition we've ever seen. Not only do we never want to see that actor again, but you shouldn't work with him again. I, I just, I decided that that would be my success because I'd never given myself that kind of freedom that I was going to give myself one audition for me, one audition to do it how I thought it should be done. And it, it changed my life. Well, they got it. Did they get it right away? They got it. Well, they didn't laugh and then they didn't laugh and it was fine. I was doing exactly what I went in there to do. They didn't, and I think I did the scene again and they didn't laugh again. And then somewhere like the third, you know, the, the second or third scene, they started to get, oh, we see what you're doing. And they started to laugh. They started to really laugh. And, um, and I tested for that film. That was the first movie I ever tested for. You know, I tested on the Paramount lot and, you know, we negotiated our three picture deal. I didn't get the movie, but um, but it was a big, it was a very big moment for me. But it was a big life. risk for you when with yeah. all of that at stake. Do you remember a big risk from from early in your career? What was the what was the biggest risk you took? Similar to what you're talking about. And it wasn't it wasn't a big risk in the sense that I had anything to lose, except I'd be standing in front of an audience and they'd just stare at me. Because I was I was doing improvisation. It was spot improvisation. You're making it up right on the spot yeah. in front of the audience. I've seen those shows. Those are scary. Really scary when you're the one doing it. <laughs> and it doesn't go anywhere, and you just hear the audience dry up. <laughs> and they think, what they get? Was this an usher they got up there, or is it the ticket taker? Who the hell is this guy? Get him out of here. Right. And the funny thing about improvising is, you're not going to die physically. You're just going to die in the metaphorical <laughs> sense. That's right. And those deaths are good for you. The metaphorical ones are good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. You get to the point where you say, well, okay, I faced it. I got through it. I'm still here. Yeah. Now I'll focus on what it takes to not have to go through that. <laughs> <laughs> but when you were working with Billy Porter, I remember in the book, this very interesting moment where he's giving you notes yeah. about a climactic moment. And he's asking you to open all the way up. You're at nine and he wants you to be at 10 or something like that. Alan, I was at, I was at a two. <laughs> I, Being careful and safe, right? I was aware of what he had written. And I, was, I, I also revered Billy as a performer. As in he, so I had, here's my hero is directing me. He's written this part for me. Anyway, and, and, I, and I, I'm terrified of wading into his territory as an actor mm. because I will fall short. You know, and I don't want to do it. So I made, intellectually, I made the choice, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go the opposite direction. You know, because that mm. I can make a case for that, to an intellectual case as an actor, to do this other thing. And he let me do it. He let me do it. He kept giving me the note. You know, I wish you would, I want you to try this other thing. And I, and I just ignored him every night. And this one night, he came to my dressing room. And just as a last ditch attempt, you know, he said, you know, I... I I, you're not listening to me. I, I wish that you would trust me. I wish that you would, you know, try this thing that I'm asking you to do. And I, and I, I almost yelled at him, you know, said, I said, Billy, I'm not you. I'm not you. You want me to be you and I'm not you. I can't do it like that. And he said, and he, you know, pleaded with me. He said, I don't want you to be me. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I want you to find your version of this thing, but I, but I'm going to stop asking you, you know, cause you, you're refusing to do it. I just, I just wish that you would trust me. 
And so I got so angry at him, Alan. I went yeah. home that that night. I was so mad that like it, you know, in my in my little my heart still in its protective case. You know, I just I was so sad that what I was doing wasn't enough for him. But thank God for a great coach, you know, that they're looking that they see more in you than you see in yourself. Yeah. And the next day I came, I was so pissed off. I said, okay, you want me to go to 10? I'm gonna go to 17. And <laughs> and I'll show you, I'll show you. Not only am I gonna fail, this whole production's gonna fail. <laughs> the audience is gonna walk out. They're, they're going to shut the show down, and I hope you're happy. Like I, Alex, I was, I was so enraged and ready to show him how wrong he was that I went to 17, and then I went to 18, and 25, and 37, and it just, and the sky opened up. It worked. Yeah, we have limits that we've built for ourselves. Things that we think we can do and what we can. We we build our own ceilings, you know, and Billy just helped me bust through that thing. You know, he's helped me shatter my own glass ceiling that I built for myself and discover all of this, all of the sky, you know? And so, and so now I tell him, you know, I, I came out, I don't know if you saw Hamilton, but I, I, I thank Billy every time, every chance I get, I come out at Hamilton. I'm like, how soon can I get to 17? Like, you know, in the opening number, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get there as quick as possible because I, I love that space now. It's the, the abandon of that space. So define it for me a little more clearly. It's a feeling of emotional contact, emotional power, letting yourself get into the emotion with both feet. What, how would you describe it? I would describe it as, um, it's daring. It is just out of the limits of my control. Mm. When I go to that place, it um, allows me to surprise, to be surprised by what's happening. And that's the only way an audience is going to ever be surprised is if I'm surprised. Yeah, that means so much to me, to be surprised, to be spontaneous, to be present, to not be thinking of what I'm, what I'm going to do and why I'm going to do at each moment. That's right. There's a full body conviction and commitment that it moves along, you know, so that it's not it's not this slow thing, you know, where we're just manipulating and crafting every moment. Let it go. Let it fly. Like Coltrane, you know? You remind me when I was doing Pearly, I cared so much about spontaneity and about contact and being there and not thinking my way through it but I didn't know quite how to achieve it. Yeah, you're so young. So what I would, yeah, I was very young. What I would do is my dressing room was on the third floor and there are these little loudspeakers backstage where you hear the play. So you hear when your scene is coming up and I would wait until the last second. <laughs> and run down. <laughs> run down the stairs. I'm, I'm out of, I get on stage just before the lights come up. Oh, that's beautiful. I love but that. But Bea Richards, the great actress, was acting the scene with me, and she'd be <laughs> waiting each time. And I'd get there once, just almost too late. She said, what is the matter with you? Why don't you get here on time? <laughs> that's fantastic. And I understand that. It wasn't fair. I took it out of my fellow actor. But I tell you, I was pretty spontaneous because... <laughs> oh, I understand that. There are there are those things that we have to... And they're different for every piece. But there, there are the ways that we have to 
trick ourselves. We have to, we have to, it's a, and a lot of it is physical. You know, a lot of it is, yeah. it, it comes through a physical action that you can, you can physicalize something and get yourself moving in a way that gets you out of here and, and you know, out of here and just, and into your body. You know what else does it? The best preparation I found, I found it in MASH what? and in a play called Art that what? I did 25 years ago. Tell me. We would sit around for an hour before the performance and just make fun of each other and laugh. <laughs> we did it right up until the, just before the curtain went up. And when the play started, we would continue this connection we had only, only now using the lines of the play. So we were alive to each other. And every night the play was different. Uh, Do you ever mess around with your fellow actors before the show? Oh, yeah. Well, we have fight call every day. Oh, right. What do you do? You go through the fight that's in the show. We do. We go through the fight. And it gives us a chance to just check in and kind of, yeah, to, to, to lock in with each other. That and I, I enjoy... That's part of part of my. I love what you just said, and there there probably will be a piece where I can use that one hundred percent. With this one, I really do enjoy coming in and surprising everybody. You know, Pearly is showing up, but he's he's unannounced. You yeah. know, he really is showing up. You know, he's he's coming in like a freight train. He's got a new person with him that they've never met, and so I really kind of enjoy just like checking in with myself. You know. Getting getting myself in touch with the most joy, the most truth. I, li I listened to this live recording of Ray Charles singing Georgia on my mind before oh, every yeah. performance. Yeah, That's every great. performance I listened to that, and it and he it's he's in Paris singing Georgia on my mind, and it reminds me of nuance, and it reminds me of the South and of Georgia, and of the sort of the specificity of this of this rich black experience that I that I just desire to bring onto the stage. And anyway, and so yeah, I, I like coming in like a like a bat out of hell and you know shaking everything up and forcing them to deal with it. <laughs> How we play back and forth with one another is such an interesting thing to see. Yeah. I feel so at home on the stage. We do. Because we do the same things every night, but everything is different. That's right. The best of life is like that. That's right. When we come back from our break, I talk with Leslie Odom Jr. about the new production, The Pearly Victorious, that he's starring in, and how today's audiences are very different from the ones we had 60 years ago when I was in the original production. And later, he tells me why several years ago he almost quit as an actor and why he didn't. Just a reminder that Clear and Vivid is nonprofit, with everything after expenses going to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Both the show and the center are dedicated to improving the way we connect with each other and all the ways that influence our lives. You can help by becoming a patron of Clear and Vivid at patreon.com. At the highest tier, you can join a monthly chat with me and other patrons, and I'll even record a voicemail message for you. Either a polite, dignified message from me explaining your inability to come to the phone, or a slightly snarky one where I explain you have no interest in talking with anyone at the moment. I'm, I'm happy to report that the snarky one is by far more popular. 
If you'd like to help keep the conversation going about connecting and communicating, join us at patreon.com slash clear and vivid. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash clear and vivid. And thank you. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. This is Clear and Vivid. And now back to my conversation with Leslie Odom Jr., we ought to talk a little bit about what Pearly Victorious is about. So Pearly, Pearly Victorious, comes back to the plantation where he yeah. left. He ran away. Right. He couldn't take the enforced labor conditions. But now he's come back to claim an inheritance. But he's come with this woman called yes. Ludibel, who uh, is going to impersonate the relative who would have inherited the church, the old church, Right. Yeah, he's come back with a scheme to get his hands on this money and to lay claim to this church that uh, has a special meaning also to his family. But I think, you know, I just tell people that it's about it's about our country. It's about America. This is, you know, this is the most patriotic, one of the most patriotic pieces of theater I've ever read or been a part of. One of the things that's interesting about the play is stereotypes on both sides of the racial divide are presented in a way to demolish them them as stereotypes. And the audience gets it and is joyous about the demolition of these stereotypes. So I'm so grateful, you know, he's given us this joyous container to have a, a necessary conversation that's got some, that certainly has some painful bits in it. Um, but the, the afternoon or the evening in the theater is, um, is a real pleasure. It's delightful, you know, and that's, and that's the gift of, of, uh, the style in which Ossie Davis writes this piece. You know, one difference that I see between then and now is on Saturdays, busloads of people from sometimes far ranging churches that were mostly black people would come to the show, people who really got what the play was about, and scream, took the roof off the theater. But during the week, it was mostly mm. white people. And the difference between then and now is it looked, the night I saw it, yes. evenly mixed. That's right. That's, that's, that's been my experience, too. Yeah. Usually, if something comes to Broadway, um... And it and it kind of 
concerns black life in any way. It's a it's it's thought of as niche. It's kind of marketed in that way, and and the audiences look a certain way. And and the opposite is true. You know, I don't I don't know how many black people saw art on Broadway, but you know, you probably you probably didn't have a ton. Um, but uh, this play that we've both been a part of. There's something about this this play. It's because it's about all of us, you know? So it really is a mixed crowd, um, not and not just black and white. And also young, also generationally, you know, my, my kid is six. My daughter's six years old. She's in the show three times. She loves it. <laughs> she loves it. That's great. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, I, it's it's not unlike Hamilton. You know, I really I really think that demographic is wide for this piece. Well, I think you're right. It is about America. It's about America reflecting on itself and laughing at the way the mismatch yeah. works out between what it wants to be and what it thinks it is and what it really is. Amen. Look at all this fun you're having, all this artistic joy you're going through. And a few years ago, you were ready to quit. Yeah. What was that? Why did you think of quitting being an actor? I was sick of the uh, up and down. And I didn't think at that time that I had any control over that, over the, it's here one day, it's gone the next. Yeah. Am I going to be able to pay my rent? Am I not? Oh, now I, I finally made it you know, something I can count on. And then the phone doesn't ring for six months. I had been an actor at that point for about a decade and I had, I had done you know, a fair amount of things. And so I, anyway, I was, I was like, I can leave that behind me and look for something else, some other way to be useful. And a mentor of mine said, uh, I hear that you want to quit and we can talk about things you might do after you quit. That's fine. But I'd love to see you try first. And Alan, I'd been an actor for 10 years already. I'm like, what the hell does this guy think what, I've been what, doing? What I'm more not, can I try? And, and I said, tell me more. And he said, well, what I think you're doing is you're sitting at home and you're waiting for the phone to ring. The phone didn't ring today, right? Did you read anything? Did you write anything? Have you emailed and called the people that you've worked with in the past? Do they know you're out of work? At that time, Alan, I wasn't singing at all. He said, do you know how many coffee shops would love to have you sing the lunch hour? at the coffee shop, he just showed me, he said, get a band together, go play, mm. go play some music. I mean, all of these ways that I just, that, that he was just saying, you can still be a creative. You know, he was, he was just telling me the day is yours. How you spend the day is yours. And I have not waited for this phone to ring in a decade. <laughs> I see it's an old phone. It's an old phone, baby. This is a flip phone, baby. I haven't waited. No, I, I'm just, I'm never, I'm never waiting for it. It rings from time to time, and that's great. Um, but I'm never waiting for it. I got the impression in the book that your first album was one that you published yourself. Was that, yes, sir. That, was, was that an example of this? Yes, that was, that was an example of this. Similarly, my brother and producer and manager, and just one of my best friends, Joseph Abate, I've done every single album with him. Uh, we've done a couple of very successful Christmas albums, and we have this new album of all original music coming out in November that I'm very proud of. Best thing I've ever done, we've ever done. And, uh, you know, Joseph told me when we first started recording, um, I love this sentiment. He said, you know, eventually, I don't want you to have any secrets left. I want you to... I want Meaning you'll write them all into songs. That's right. Wow. 
Um, now, are you on the hunt now for new secrets? <laughs> well, I'm, I got plenty, but I, but this one, I, I tell more of them than I've told before. But that, but yes, he Joseph wanted me to do a Kickstarter campaign, which I was so, which I found, I don't know, it just, I was on a TV show and it kind of was like, oh, I'm, yeah. what are people going <laughs> to think if I'm asking for money? And Joseph said, he said, you know, listen, after we finish this album, aren't you going to ask every person that you know to buy it? Aren't you going to ask everybody that you know to buy a copy of it? I said, yes. He said, well, ask them to buy it now. So I, I asked everybody that I knew for um, 10 to 15 bucks, you know, to see if, they, if, they were, if they'd be willing to pre-order this album. And we raised $40,000. I don't know how much it takes to produce an album, but that sounds like a good start. My record deal, my first record deal came from my community. Isn't that great? Have you ever had to uh, fundraise, you know, that, that, kind of that independent project? Yeah, not, not for anything with regard to what we do for a living, but I have to fundraise for the, the oldest Center for Communicating Science. That means a lot to me. I'm kind of unafraid to do that because it's such an important thing. Right. It doesn't draw any attention to me. It's to the... The effort. But one of the things that interests me about as we were talking there, it interests me that right out of the gate, you get awards for what you do. When you did um, One Night in Miami, you, you got two, not two Oscar nominations, one as an actor and one as a songwriter. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Uh, you know, it, it is amazing. And I'm amazed by it. My, my head can still fit through the door frame. The only thing that it's done is that any of that imposter syndrome garbage is gone. You know, what I, what I know, thank God, now in my 40s, you know, is that if you give me the resources, if you give me the writing... You can deliver. I can deliver. That feeling, I can deliver, is yeah. such a powerful feeling. It is. Because it enables you not to worry whether you can deliver. That's right. When did you feel that? When did you finally feel that? I've, you know, I've, it's taken me a long time, but I finally feel that. Yeah. What what day is it now? <laughs> Today is no. Monday. Oh, then it must have been Sunday. I got <laughs> I like to take parts that I don't see myself right for, where I where I think that have that scary moment where I say, "How am I going to do this?" Yeah. That involves the risk that you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, in a similar way, you know, I, I'm t I take things that scare me. If there's something in it that feels like I don't quite know how that's going to happen, I really don't know how <laughs> I'm going to do that. What do you remember about that, like, from the rehearsal process? There was a fire flaring in his eyes, and he was almost out of control. When you talked about what Billy Porter wanted you to do at that climactic moment, to let loose and let yourself have whatever the emotion is, 100%. That's what I saw Ossie do. And I saw him do it every night. It almost, it, he, he got into a trance almost when he was taking revenge on the plantation owner, telling the story of how he did it. He was furious with energy and emotion. And it looked like just a, he was on the edge of losing control. But, but the full force of his anger, of his understanding of the unfairness of the situation, 
came out. I've learned acting over the years, mainly by standing in the wings and watching. And I got such lessons from that that I didn't know if I'd ever be able to replicate because he was so much in touch with the fire inside him. You know, we're running to the end of our time. We always end every show with seven quick questions. Here's the first one. Of all the things there are to understand, what do you wish you really understood? Oh, um, I wish I had a really deep understanding of all things math. (laughs) Because math plays a part in our lives in so many different ways. I I have, you know, rudimentary understanding of of things, but I'd... That'd be, that'd be really fun if numbers spoke to me the way language does, you know? That's a hope of mine to help make that happen because I have the same reaction you do. I'm hungry for it. Okay, number two, how do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? What a great question. Um, gently, yeah, gently, but I do it, you know. I don't, I don't think you have that correct. I think, wasn't it actually this or... Let's check. Let's let's check the record. <laughs> yeah, right. let's, let's go back and let's, can we find that article? Let's find, you know, just like that. Yeah, yeah, good, good. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? Mm-hmm. Probably things that are like just, you know, super personal, like, yeah, personal, like stuff, people that get too personal about my, my wife or my kids too soon. That's always weird. Yeah. How do you stop a compulsive talker? I don't. Unfortunately, I wish I knew. <laughs> you know, I usually I just try to find grace and um, exit points. You know, just I'm looking for exit points. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say you're at a dinner table and you're sitting next to someone you've never met before. How do you start up a genuine conversation? So this is not the compulsive talker. This is just no, a person you, that I'm... Well, you don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> How do I start up the genuine conversation? Um, if I have to just do it cold, you know, I found um, some version of what's bringing you joy or what's inspiring you right now. I have, you know, have you read anything amazing lately? You know, something some, some that's going to get them talking about something in a positive way. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I prefer to keep it to, to not make it about TV because t- TV can take over a dinner table real quick. Um, but yeah, if I can, so what's bringing you joy is a, is a good one. Great. The next one, I think we've sort of answered already, but maybe you have something more to say about it. What gives you confidence? preparedness, you know, being prepared is what gives me confidence. And in going into any situation, the more prepared I am, the more confident I can be. Good. Last question. What book changed your life? Two. Three. You want me to narrow it down to one or tell you the three? Well, whatever you want. The the, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Hmm that he wrote with uh, Alex Haley is just riveting and, you know, just really um, tells the story of a great big old life, you know, somebody that, that I revere, a real, a real giant, a real truth teller. There's um, David Mamet's True and False, 
which I don't think I don't think should be a first book that an actor reads because it's pretty radical. You know, he's an iconoclast. And so that but but at a certain point in your career, you know, in your 20s, late 30s, pick up David Mammoth's True and False and let that work its way through your instrument. And then I forget the name of the other one. So, um, oh, no, A New Earth, A New Earth, Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Um, you know, I know it's trendy and all that, but it's really, it's really powerful. Um, and, it, and it gave me a new concept, a new understanding of what the ego is and how it functions. And especially for actors, as you know, we play hide and seek with our egos, yeah. you know, and, and, our, and our identities. And so really, really um, getting flexible with that, with your, your fixed ideas of who you are and the story of who you are and how, how we can cling to those things and stop ourselves from all the things we could be because of all the things we believe we are. Um, that was a really powerful book for me too. Well, this has been so much fun and I'm really appreciative, especially knowing that you know in the back of your head as you're spending this time and energy with me, in a few hours, you have to come up with a whole play. That's right. And I'm very grateful. My pleasure. Thank you for making time, sir. I've loved it. Me too. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Alan. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsor of this podcast and to all of you who support our show on Patreon. You keep Clear and Vivid up and running. And after we pay expenses, whatever is left over goes to the Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. So your support is contributing to the better communication of science. We're very grateful. Leslie Odom Jr.'s performance as Aaron Burr in the hit musical Hamilton won him a Tony Award as Best Actor in a Musical in 2016. For his role as singer Sam Cooke in the 2020 movie One Night in Miami, he earned several nominations for Best Supporting Actor, as well as the Oscar and Golden Globe for writing the film's original song, Speak Now. His album of Christmas music is a perennial bestseller, and he's just released an album called When a Crooner Dies. He's now starring on Broadway in the hit play Pearly Victorious. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Chedd, with help from our associate producer, Gene Chimay. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. Our researcher is Elizabeth Ohaney, and the sound engineer is Erica Huang. The music is courtesy of the Stefan Koenig Trio. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Steve Inskeep. He's the host of NPR's Morning Edition, as well as NPR's Morning News podcast, Up First. He's also written four books on American history. His new book is Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America. It's funny, that word hate, because nobody really ever accepts that that's what they're doing, that they will persuade themselves that whatever system they're in is the just and the right one. That was true of slave owners even in the 19th century, and it's certainly true of a lot of people today. Were we as divided, if we were to put it that way, as divided then as we are now? I mean, probably more so then. I mean, we actually went to an actual civil war. But I, I, don't, I don't think the divide is quite as stark 
as it was in the 19th century, although it's close enough that I do feel that studying the one gives some insight into the other. Steve Inskeep, Lessons from Lincoln We Could Use Today, next time on Clear and Vivid. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.